Country Roads, take me home to the place I belong. Nice song. I sing that all the time in wild, wild West Virginia. Did not make its way to the airwaves last night as those country roads are now paved. Yeah, they paved Paradise and they put up a parking lot. Pretty sure they put up like an Ikea, a Target, maybe a Walmart next to the Target just for the heck of it. It was a rough night for the people of Morgantown, but it was a beautiful night for Jayhawk Nation. Welcome in, everybody, to the Believe in Jayhawks basketball show on the Believe Podcast Network, your number one podcast network for professionals. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? What I believe in is that last night was not very appeasing to the eyes, but, man, if you are a Kansas basketball fan, it was beautiful. Nothing like a good rock fight, defensive battle, going into Morgantown and pulling one out right there in front of Bob Huggins, wearing his windbreaker. I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's set everything up. I am Jonas Nordman. I appreciate you listening. Should be a really fun episode today. You're darn right. We're going to recap what happened last night in West Virginia. I am recording this the day after. That's sort of the beauty of moving the show to the Thursday. I sort of figure it's the perfect day for college basketball. Usually they play Saturday, Monday, but you do get that Wednesday game and we can react right away. So let's talk about what happened last night. I am going to briefly eh, go over the reaction, what happened with the, the 16 seeds being released by the tournament committee last weekend, especially as we head into a new weekend of college basketball. Had some thoughts about what's going on, sort of give you a preview of the teams that are being featured this year. And, of course, we do a quick little look ahead, as we do every single week and every single episode, for the game this weekend against Oklahoma. But we start in Morgantown. And how could we not? It's been a rough week in Morgantown, West Virginia. First of all, West Virginia, the Mountaineers, were released in those preliminary rankings, if you will, as a, as a two-seed, which a lot of people found interesting. But, hey. They're one of the top three teams, I think number two defensively in the Ken Pomeroy rankings. And they certainly showed that last night. But what they did is they proceeded to, to then go and lose to a mediocre Oklahoma team over the weekend. And much like peanut butter and jelly, West Virginia b- basketball and second half leads, or at least blowing those leads, it's a match made in heaven, sort of what they do. It's now going back to at least 2018 there's been a couple instances where they get out to a pretty good-sized lead, and then Kansas creeps back into it, and they end up winning the game, partly because West Virginia just, for whatever reason, cannot recruit players who can make baskets, which is pretty crucial in a game such as basketball. I want to start at the very top. Bill Self, post-game, mentioned the best player, quote, the guy who was the best player in the game. And it was a guy who shot four for 10 from the field for only nine points. I think if you follow the program, if you watched the game last night, you probably know where this is going. Marcus Garrett was fantastic, especially defensively. If he doesn't win defensive player of the year, I mean, it's going to be a travesty. I took a look at the game logs to see sort of – there was that period, right, with seven minutes left, and he got one steal after another after another. And – when I looked at the game log, the play-by-play, his name is just peppered up and down a three-minute stretch. Seven minutes left. You got four steals in three minutes. Now, not all of those necessarily led to points because Ochai Agbaji 
missed a three-point shot on the wing. Devon Dotson got his layup splattered against the backboard by Miles McBride, who's an impressive freshman. But Marcus Garrett created things. He, I believe it was those four steals that eventually led to Kansas getting the lead back. What was, to me, the number of the game? What was perhaps the most important stat? It was the number one. I take you to just about nine minutes remaining in the entire ball game. This was an ugly game. Big Ben Roethlisberger is in the crowd, which I know Pittsburgh's right down the road from Morgantown, West Virginia. But if that's the celebrity you're getting, he was there with Ryan Switzer, who was looking very, let's just slot receiver-ish. <laughs> right, by the way, Switzer didn't even go to West Virginia. He's just from the area, just a big fan. But Big Ben is sitting there with his big face, and he had the big beard, and he sat next to the Mountaineer, and every single person made the same joke that once you put that cap on, the coonskin cap, that Big Ben couldn't really tell the difference between him and the Mountaineer mascot. Hey, if you're a Steelers fan, that's your guy. All I'm saying is he may not be looking like he's ready for <laughs> good. Th- I'll put it this way. It's a good thing the season is a long ways away. The NFL season just ended, but he's been injured. It's okay. Guys get out of playing shape. But the number of the game, number one, with eight minutes, 53 seconds left, West Virginia held a 46-40 to 40 lead. They proceeded to go one for 11 in field goals, field goal attempts. They went one for four from the free throw line, and they committed nine turnovers. Of course, four of those were the steals that I mentioned by Marcus Garrett. Kansas defense is elite. I mean, they are locking people down. The offense is not pretty, although I will point you to an article that the great Jesse Newell wrote in the Kansas City Star, I believe it was last week ahead of the TCU game, in saying that the Kansas offense might be better than you might expect. I mean, the eye test doesn't really pass it, but what he said is essentially is that the pace is slower, Kansas's defense is so good that it's taking possessions out of the game. The three-point shooting is a little bit unlucky. Like, he imagines it should regress to the mean. And we may have seen that a little bit from Isaiah Moss in last night's game, which we might, which I'll, I'll mention in just a moment. And, and on top of that, their schedule has been so tough, and they play so many teams that are elite defensively, that, yeah, your offensive numbers are going to take a hit. So I guess the, really the test will be when it comes tournament time, and they're playing non-Big 12 teams, does the offense sort of unlock? I think it's, there's a case to be made there. But the eye test, and a team that is shooting about 25% from three at this point of the season, it is what it is, right? But the defense is elite, and no better stat tells that story than this. So I, I always bring up Ken Palm, right? Ken Pomeroy, the czar, the oracle, all things college basketball statistics. If you need a stat... If you're in a bar and you want to win an argument, all you got to say is, well, this is what Ken Palm says, and you got nothing. <laughs> the other guy's like, all right, if that's what Ken Pomeroy says, then, then it must be correct. So he's been tracking these stats since 2002. And this Kansas basketball team, the Fighting Jayhawks, led by Bill Self, who just won his 700th game over the weekend at TCU. Congratulations, Bill. Come on the show. They are on pace for the best defensive efficiency rating in Ken Pomeroy rankings history. Going back 18 years. That's unbelievable. My, my first thought was, 
I mean, think of some of these Virginia teams the last couple of years, led by like Malcolm Brogdon, Ty Jerome, Kyle Guy, uh, Jerome, or uh, DeAndre Hunter, excuse me. Think of some of the other great teams that have come and gone, like the, the Butler teams with Gordon Hayward, you know, the North Carolina teams, Tyler Hansborough, the Florida teams, Joakim Noah, Al Horford, Corey Brewer, even the OA Kansas team, elite defensively, Mario Chalmers, Russell Robinson. I, I mentioned it with Nick Schwartz, the best friend of the show, two weeks ago. Like Those are maybe the guys, along with Marcus Garrett, on the perimeter could be considered probably the best defensive players that Bill Self has ever had. And this year's group? I, but... To be fair, when you look at the individual pieces, it, it makes sense. The guy I believe is the defensive player of the year in Marcus Garrett at Skyline High School in Dallas, Texas. Elite, elite rim protection in Yudoka Azabuki, who is now incorporating the Mutumbo finger swag much more, and I'm all for it. I have a broken finger, broken right finger, and it makes it very tough for me to do the Mutumbo. So I'm really envious of Yudoka Azabuki, but you keep doing it, big man. And he was making, again, it's not just his rim protection and the fact that he's a force and a presence right there in the paint. I mentioned it a couple weeks ago, the fact that he's able to move, he's agile, he switches on screens, and he makes life difficult for a guard trying to get around it, go downhill, which Jay Billis hates that term, but go downhill towards the basket. He is a presence. And then Ochayak Baji is great defensively. Devon Dotson at the tip of the spear, making life difficult for any ball handler. It makes sense. And on top of that, think of the fact that Christian Brown, you know, the skinny kid out of Burlington, Kansas, was guarding Derek Culver in the post, who's a big, burly power forward. The buy-in is there. I I see it. Is college basketball at an elite level this year, especially offensively? No. But that's okay. Let the kids play some really good defense. Now on the flip side of that coin, there were two teams that tangled in this ballgame last night. West Virginia. So I mentioned that last week in sort of my, if you will, diatribe about the Big 12. Here, here's what we're looking at. There's a clear cream of the crop with Baylor and Kansas. Can't wait for that game in week home two weeks. Then West Virginia is in that sort of that weird middle. They're the third best team clearly in the Big 12. But is anyone really worried about them? I said no. Doesn't mean they're not a pain in the butt, especially traveling to Morgantown. And I think it proved itself last night. Defensively, they are very, very good. There's a reason they're number two in the Ken Palm rankings. Hey, there he is again. But look, it's been the same thing every single year. Like, it doesn't matter who's on the roster. Oscar Schwiebway is a... Again, really, really strong underneath the basket. Culver is really, really strong underneath the basket. They made life impossible for the Kansas four-guard look. I mean, as Azabuki and McCormack, they didn't do anything really offensively. They tried their best, and they gave their effort defensively, which is really what matters. But those two big guys, man, they are loads. But offensively, skill-wise, I don't want to sound too harsh here, but West Virginia, for the longest time being, is just not good at the tangible aspects of basketball. <laughs> that might be a little bit harsh, but shooting, they are a bunch of bricklayers. Passing, they missed on about two or three, maybe even four alley-oop attempts last night that really could have put the game away, and they just overshot the intended target. Oh, alley-oop attempt? Tossed it right into the first row. 
big Ben Roethlisberger probably sort of sympathize, sympathize with that. He's a Hall of Famer. Don't at me. Dribbling, I mean, they, the whole thing, West Virginia, I respect a number of the players that have come up over the years, Jerry West, of course, but more recently, Javon Carter, what a grinder. Jawan Statton, he was okay. Dexter Miles hit a few big shots over the years. Sagaba Kanata, really strong. He had, had that game where he blocked Svi Mikhailuk, what, like two or three times? Other than that, for whatever, for whatever reason, West Virginia just can't get anyone in there to can like hit an open three consistently. I mean, the game was there for the taking. Like the upset, the mix was coming together perfectly. The recipe was there. You know, you have the random guy who hit like three three-pointers all season long. He hit a couple last night. You know, you, you had the home crowd behind you. They were going crazy. It was a gold out. You had essentially every single offensive rebound going your way. Kansas couldn't hit anything from the outside. And here we are. At the end of the day, KU wins. They keep pace with Baylor. And now, as a Kansas fan, you should be hoping that West Virginia now takes out a lot of their frustration this weekend as they take on the Baylor Bears. Oh, yeah. Let's hope they learn how to shoot between now and Saturday. <laughs> like I said, Shweeboy was amazing. I- I'm not even going to... A Swabian? A Schwabian? I-, I apologize to him and his family there. He had a few good entry passes into the post to help out Shweeboy in-, in the first half. The one player I was actually relatively impressed with was the freshman Miles McBride. Had a couple of nice pull-ups. The mid-range game is there. He was the one, again, who had that block on Dotson in transition. Great athleticism. And the fact that he stayed with the roadrunner, Devon Dotson, in transition, uh, that was really impressive. So that's sort of the overarching theme here. Really quality. It's a road win in the Big 12. Again, Kansas is now undefeated on the road in conference play. Baylor did the same thing this week on, on Big Monday, I should say, at Texas. That was an ugly game. If you thought the game last night, Kansas-West Virginia, was tough on the eyeballs, whew, I unfortunately watched that Baylor-Texas game. Shaka Smart, you've got, you've got trouble there in Austin. They're so talented. I, this is not a Texas show. Some quick notes. How does the saying go? A rolling stone gathers no moss. I think that's what it is, right? Uh, it doesn't really apply to Isaiah Moss. I don't know how a rolling stone gathers none of him. I just wanted to throw it out there. But you can see how he is an X factor, right? Three for five on threes last night. And look, they need probably three to four three-pointers from Moss every game if they really want to get this offense into high gear. Like, we can sort of tell that it's just percolating, right? It's bubbling at the surface. What is going to make this offense just burst? And hopefully this was a sign of things to come for Moss. He shot it confidently. And when... The going got tough. Bill Self ran a play for Isaiah Moss right there in the near corner, drained the three, and they didn't look back. So not only was he solid three-point shooting, he was four for four on free throws. That's a mouthful. Four for four. Let's just say he was perfect on free throw attempts, and he shot the free throws. That gave Kansas its first lead. What was it, since like 10 to 8 there in the second half? This is a team that we can admit is not very good at shooting free throws, and it's more than just Yudoka Azabuki with, like, his 46% free throw shooting. You know, Agbaji is not really reliable. 
Marcus Garrett is certainly not reliable shooting free throws. Dotson's in the 80%, but he's missed a few front ends of some one-on-ones here and there. Isaiah Moss is pure. And going four for four in a close game was huge. And you know what? It may be the best defensive team in the history of college basketball, in my words. He's not necessarily the guy that really adds to that, but he tried his butt off. And at the end of the day, that's all you can ask, right? I mean, he was getting in there. He was going for the rebounds. It was a complete total effort for West Virginia. I mean, their shots were so bad. They were just clanging off their best offense. Like Fran Fischilla said, was a a shot going so haywire that it bounced to an open three-point shooter, you know, 25 feet away from the basket. And he tried. And if you watched the video last night of the team celebrating in the locker room, Bill Self turns around and he goes, Isaiah Moss, Isaiah, huge effort. You know, something I'm paraphrasing, but it was like, great effort tonight. And he did. He, he tried his butt off. Devon Dotson, you know, I will admit, as I was watching the game, I was like, Devon's got to step it up. The guy's three for 10 at, at, at this point. This was like midway through the second half. The three-point shots were not going. He was forcing it a bit in transition. And really, I don't want to say that I caused the turnaround, but essentially from right there, he made it happen. And he showed why he is the catalyst of this Kansas Jayhawk basketball team. I thought it was the three-point shot right along the KU bench on the far side that really triggered the comeback. He, He flared out. He faked as if he was going to cut towards the basket, flared to the corner. He hadn't been hitting that all night long, but when it mattered most right there, he hit the three-pointer, and they were on their way. And I'll give him credit for grinding. Obviously, we did not know this heading into the game, but he tweaked his knee against TCU over the weekend. He did not practice one second all week long leading up to this game against West Virginia. But you know what? He gutted it out. He put in a workmanlike performance. He made it happen. And honestly, on some of those drives, you couldn't even tell that his knee was bothering him. Maybe it affected the rest of his game. But uh, again, he really, pardon the language, but he sacked up and and he made it happen. That's what leaders do. That's what a potential national player of the year does. And you know what? If you follow me on Twitter, at JoeNasty90, you'll see that I may be becoming best friends with his parents. We'll get to that later (laughs) or another show. (laughs) So fun game last night. It's always fun to beat West Virginia. They have been a a fun addition to the Big 12, have they not? You lose Texas A&M, you lose Colorado, Missouri, those other traders. But at least, and when this happened a few years ago, what was it, like 2012? I I remember thinking, at least we're getting a team back that cares about basketball, right? And they do. They showed up. The fans, much like Iowa State fans, boo every single thing that they think. If if a Kansas player touches a West Virginia player, that's a foul. What the heck? That's a travel. So the basketball IQ, or we'll just call it the passion. The passion is high. The BB IQ might be a little bit low, especially for a team that plays so physically and wants the game to be a bit of a grinder. But that's okay. It's always fun to beat West Virginia. But let's move forward. Why look at the past when we can look at the future, which is what the NCAA Tournament Committee did last weekend. I like that they do this. And by the way, if you have any interest in advertising on the show, contact Believe. Just go to Believe.com. That's B-L-E-A-V.com. Take it from there. Got a good thing going here. Okay. So I I like that the NCAA is doing this and CBS and Turner. They are collaborating. So we have a bit of a preview. Does it matter? No, because everything's going to change, right? Between now 
I think it's March 15th is Selection Sunday. So they, what, what they've been doing the last two years is at a certain point in the season, call it the three-quarters mark as we head down the home stretch, down the stretch they go, they will say, as it stands right now, this would be your top 16 teams, your one seeds, your two seeds, your three seeds, and your four seeds, redfish, bluefish. So it doesn't matter, but it gets the people chatting, right? And here we are. We're talking about it. So my initial thought was when I looked at Kansas's region, and they would be apparently the number one seed in the Midwest. All right. Kansas versus Dayton rematch. All right. I think Dayton was the two seed. They had that great championship game in Maui. But then again, a lot can change. <laughs> Dayton may not end up in their region, depending what happens with like Gonzaga and San Diego State. Dayton, Lord knows, could rise up to be a one seed. But that would be wild. Kansas would really have to lock in defensively if they face Dayton again. So since CBS and since the NCAA released that, they did have West Virginia as a two seed. And what did they do? They went and lost two games since then. The one to Oklahoma. And then, of course, last night to the Jayhawks. So with West Virginia clearly losing their two line this week, who would you move up? My best guess is that I believe Seton Hall probably should move up. Miles Powell, excuse me, I don't want to do him a disservice, is a baller. They're leading a really tough Big East conference. I mean, think about Butler, Xavier, Villanova, Marquette's a solid team. That's a tough conference, and they're leading it by, I think, either two or three games. So I think Seton Hall is a deserving two-seed. And Hey, if you want to move them into the Midwest, Midwest region, get them away from New Jersey, I'm all for that. Uh, by the way, all, any of you sitting in your cars right now or on your phone jogging, on the treadmill, what have you, do you know what Seton Hall's mascot is? Okay, you actually played them a couple years ago, I think two years ago in the NCAA tournament. Give you a moment. Yes, they are the Pirates, <laughs> which has got to be one of my favorite mascots in college basketball, college athletics, excuse me, that and UC Santa Cruz, the banana slugs. So, of course, the, the one that catches everybody's eye is, of course, San Diego State, who is still undefeated. They defeated University of New Mexico, the Lobos, last evening. They are a one seed, and the tournament committee did them a bit of a disservice. The, the great debate right now is what to do with both Gonzaga and San Diego State. Gonzaga has one loss. They will likely not lose the rest of the year. San Diego State has zero losses. They probably will not lose the rest of the year either in the Mountain West. There is a regional this year. The Western Regional ends in Los Angeles. And you can better bet both those teams are angling for that region. It'll be in Staples Center. It'll be the Sweet 16, Elite Eight games, of course. San Diego State, closer than Gonzaga, obviously three- to four-hour drive, depending on the time of day you come up here. Gonzaga would have to fly down from Spokane. So uh, I, did a, I did everyone who's listening a favor, and I subjected myself to a little bit of San Diego State basketball last night. They're playing New Mexico. And for Kansas fans out there, New Mexico is where former Jayhawk Carlton Bragg transferred to. He, this may not come as a surprise, but I think he had some off-the-court issues, and he's no longer on the team. Just thought you might want to know that. So here's the thing with San Diego State. This is a very intelligent team. They always seem to be making the right play. They always found the open man. Very sound defensively. Made life impossible 
for a less than talented New Mexico team. They are led by Malachi Flynn. That's probably the name you hear most associated with San Diego State, the Aztecs. He had a bit rough night last night shooting the ball, but he's everywhere. I mean, when New Mexico had the ball, he always seemed to be in the right place. He was making things happen. He was passing the ball where it needed to be. Forced a few shots. He's clearly the best player, and he has a green light. But the guy is impressive, and he's clearly carrying out the game plan, much like Marcus Garrett does for KU. He is their do-everything. He's an impressive player. The guy to keep an eye out, and, and should KU face San Diego State, He's a bit. He would be a bit of a matchup nightmare. It's Matt Mitchell, a six-six power forward, who went for twenty-plus points last night against New Mexico. Again, a power forward, undersized. San Diego State likes to play fast, tough, physical. They're a smart team. I would imagine Marcus Garrett guards him in that situation. Maybe they put Christian Brown on him again. This is all theoretical. KU may not ever play San Diego State, but they are an intriguing team. Now, the national media is doing their best right now. They're saying they're looking at San Diego State's record at 24 0, 25 0, saying, oh, yeah, this is a national title contender. And yeah, they play hard. They play fast. They play together. They play smart. But don't get it twisted. The Mountain West is not that great. New Mexico is right around 500 in league play, and they are, they are not a good team. Utah State's solid. Boise State's all right. They might get those three teams into the tournament, but. I'm, I'm really intrigued to see what happens with San Diego State. And I'm really intrigued to see what happens with that battle for the Western Regional between them and Gonzaga. Honestly, either of them would probably rather be a two seed and still go out West as opposed to being a one seed and go East to Madison Square Garden where Duke will probably be their two seed. And we know how Blue Devil Nation travels to games in New York City. All right. Fun stuff so far. We're coming up sort of here to the end of the Believe in Jayhawks basketball show. Appreciate you listening. Follow. Make sure you tweet at me questions, thoughts, concerns, if you think I'm being silly. But we have moved to the portion of the show where it's time to do a little bit of a preview of what's to come this Saturday, 11 a.m. Central Time. The Oklahoma Sooners come riding into town on their covered wagons. This is, of course, now the second matchup of the year with Oklahoma. Last time they met, January 14th, KU won that game 66-52. to OU comes in with a record of 16-8 and overall, a conference record of 6-5, and of course, coached by Lon Kruger, former K-State Wildcat. Nobody's perfect. You may remember that game on January 14th, which KU won by 14. That was the game where Devon Dotson did not play. He's dealing with that hip pointer that he suffered against Baylor in the first matchup. And I was thinking, wouldn't that be interesting? Wouldn't that be funny if Devon Dotson, we know he's having his knee issues, right? Maybe again, because this game's at home now, so KU's probably feeling even more confident. Maybe he won't play again. Rest him up against Oklahoma this game. <laughs> I don't imagine that's going to happen. But boy, would that be hilarious. Now, lost in the storylines of that first matchup with Devon Dotson not playing was the fact that Isaiah Moss did score 20 points against Oklahoma. Had a big game last night. Is it a harbinger of things to come this weekend? Stay tuned. Players to watch. Number 35, Brady Manick. Not hard to miss out there on the court. Shaved head, flesh-colored mustache. He kind of, again, he looks like Larry Bird. He does not play like Larry Bird. 
but he does have that high release, smooth stroke, can really get it going from three-point range, and he is on a bit of a roll. In his last four games, he scored 30 in a rivalry game, Bedlam, against Oklahoma State, 19 points against a stout Texas Tech defense, 11 points against West Virginia, but they won that game, so who cares? And then 18 points his last time out against Iowa State. So he can get it going, and he can get it going in a hurry. Brady Manick now is a junior, I believe. So Kansas fans, pretty familiar with him. Then there's also number 21, Christian Doolittle, the most improved player in the conference last year. And there have been arguments that he has stepped his game up again this year to once again be the most improved player in the conference. I don't know if that's even possible to win most improved two years in a row. He is stuffing the box score, though. 15 points per game, nine rebounds per game, essentially an eyelash off of averaging a double-double. But honestly, who cares about his game? Because I saw he was from Edmond, Oklahoma, which you know what that means. He shares the same hometown as one Bill Eugene self. Now, what I did not realize about Edmond, Oklahoma is that they have a pretty long list of notable, well, not alumni, locals, locals. So Bill Self, Christian Doolittle, Blake Griffin went to high school there, which I did not realize. Garrett Richards, big league pitcher. You may not have heard of him. He pitches for the Angels, so he's pretty irrelevant. And his arm kind of flew off a couple times here and there. And then Brandon Whedon, former Oklahoma State quarterback, former Cowboy quarterback, played a little baseball in the minor leagues as well. You remember him? He was like a 27-year-old college QB. And lastly, Epi Udo, basketball player for Baylor, played for the Golden State Warriors a little bit here and there. So who knew? And I read that Russell Westbrook, former Oklahoma City Thunder basketball player, current Houston Rocket, owns some property in Edmond. So perhaps this is a bit of an affluent neighborhood. I do not know. But regardless, Christian Doolittle shoots a lot of mid-range shots. Kind of has been rendered useless in the games against Kansas recently. And another player to watch, not really for anything on the court, but it is number 24, Jamal Bienemy. I mentioned it last week. I know there's a lot of Chiefs fans that listen to this show. I mean, it makes sense. This is the Believe in Jayhawks basketball podcast, Midwest show, Kansas show, a lot of Chiefs fans. So, yes, the last name, Bienemy. You guessed it. His dad is offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy, who might be looking at the Colorado Buffalo head coaching job, but that's not my jam. Good stuff today. Appreciate you listening. Hope you enjoyed what you heard. Recommend it to your friends. Uh, just play it on your computer, and you don't even have to listen. Let's just get those listens up. It would be much appreciated. I'll be back next week with a recap of what happened against Oklahoma and all things Kansas basketball and college basketball. Um, I will leave you on this note. I don't know if you saw it. Uh, the other night, Joel Embiid, Marcus Morris, who will be getting his number retired. Perhaps we'll get into that next weekend. Marcus Morris, the number 22, will be in the rafters at Allen Fieldhouse the 17th against Iowa State. But Marcus is now a clipper. Joel has, of course, been on the 76ers ever since he entered the NBA. And you do not mess with Marcus Morris. We know that. doesn't matter if there's Jayhawk love or not. And those two got in a bit of a tussle when the Clippers played the 76ers on Tuesday. And it just hurt my crimson and blue heart so much. I couldn't take it. So as I dab my eyes and take the tears off of them, I will bid you adieu. 
and talk to you soon. Rock Chalk, everybody. One, two, three, and tough up.